Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. This year marks the 20th anniversary for the 9-11 terrorist attacks. We are also halfway through the second year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Some are calling these two tragic bookends to the last two decades. Interestingly, though, while these two events are different in nature, the impact they made on businesses and employees are very similar. Is this a coincidence or is there something to be learned about the impact disruption can have on an organization and its people? What should an employer be focused on when an event like 9-11 or COVID-19 happens? And are there solutions or support options that can be leveraged to help them successfully navigate the troubled aftermath of the events? With us today to share his expertise and firsthand knowledge from responding to the psychological first aid needs of employers for both 9-11 and COVID-19, among other major events across our history, is Workplace MVP Jeff Gorder, Vice President of Crisis Response Services for our show sponsor, R3 Continuum. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate the opportunity. So we're glad to have you here and really interested in hearing a little bit about yourself and your career journey that's led you to this, uh, to, to R3 Continuum and to where you're at today. Okay. No, thanks. And, and just, uh, by way of background, I am, um, uh, a clinical social worker, master's level social worker. And so come from a clinical background and have been in the field providing services either in private practice or in a public setting for, uh, 35 years, but the last 20 years of that have been specifically focused on providing disaster response. And so can you share with our audience um, the response work, that disaster response work that you did post 9-11, and how does that compare to the work that you're doing today in response to the COVID-19 pandemic? No, and, and if you if you caught the 20 year reference, I really look at 9-11 as sort of the, uh, that was certainly my first experience in responding to a large scale event. Part of the backstory of that is that the uh, the former president of Crisis Care Network, which is now known as R3 Continuum, uh, Bob Vanderpool and I were um, in private practice together and he had left the practice, oh, I'd say six months before 9-11. And when uh, the attacks occurred on that day, I called uh, I called Bob and I said, Bob, I from what I understand, based on on the the new position that you're in, I guess your company is going to be involved in this. Uh, I just want to let you know I am trained in this. If there's anything I can do to help, to which he said, Can you be on a plane in four hours? And uh, I was in New York City that evening, um, able to provide uh, and, and to begin providing response. Great. And how does that compare to some of the response works? I know you've done some response work um, with the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of that's been done virtually, but are some of the sessions or some of the work that you're doing with that, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how they work and kind of what your role is that you play within that? Well, no, it's an excellent question because I've really been wrestling with the fact that, you know, this being the 20th anniversary of 9-11, that was very much 
in my, the forefront of my mind. And yet COVID has such a dominating factor. And it's, as you said in, in your intro, it's kind of no surprise that these two things are, you know, uh, juxtaposed here at this moment. So specifically, when I went to, to New York City, I was deployed to assist businesses as employees were returning to work for the first time following the attacks. And that's a key element in that, you know, businesses played a, a major role in helping employees feel like they're getting back to some sense of normalcy or something that they could control. And so many of the things that they talked about were more um, tangible, if you will, in the sense that they talked about things like the smells, things like the, the grittiness of the dust that was everywhere, um, how um, a siren going off for a police or a fire would, um, would create a, a startle response uh, the first time. And many of us can remember that the first time we saw a plane flying again after all flights had been uh, grounded. And so for many of them, these were much more, uh, you know, visceral kind of descriptions of what they were going through. Um, and, and yet for many of them, their stories were also about how resilience, how going back to work was not just getting back to work, but was in for many of them a patriotic act a small but very tangible stand against the darkness, if you will. And that getting back to work meant this is something I can do in this national crisis. Um, now, in, in, in juxtaposing it to COVID-19, that, that, you know, the swift recovery of business operations is and has been, continues to be a central component to our nation's recovery. But it's different because 9-11 was confined to a day. Now, we didn't know that at the time, but it's confined to 9-11. It was a specific point in our calendar that we can, can look back, and it was a moment of sharp, human-initiated attack. Um, now, COVID has a different perspective in that it is a prolonged, ongoing, unfolding, still-not-done crisis driven primarily by biology. And so in that sense... You know, it, the the fear and the emotions elicited are in many ways just as powerful, but um, whereas you could point to it, you could feel it between your fingers in New York City, what the attack was like. Here, it's kind of a vague, shadowy fear creeping outside your door. It's everywhere, and yet I can't point to it. And, and so... There's, there's, um, the fear is the, the, the common factor, but it's also different kind of fear. And so I think that's uh, important to recognize. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously from a business perspective, there's some similarities in, in some of the thinking. And so looking at your perspective of business leaders, you know, and I know we've talked about this and I know you've got an opinion and kind of some thoughts around that balancing act between human and business and, and how employers need to be looking at that following a disruption in the workplace. Can you share our, your perspective on that with us? Yeah. Uh, well, and I begin with, with the assumption that many business makers or business leaders have that um, the human response and the business aspects are two different things. And I contend that they are not, that they are in fact inextricably woven. And that uh, typically 
when a large scale disaster hits, business leaders will go to their business continuity plan. They'll pull that three ring binder off the shelf or they'll go to their files and they'll look at that plan as they should. And they'll review that crisis plan, uh, the policies, procedures, what the strategies were to contain the crisis and mitigate the, the impact. That's a, a sound thinking. The trouble is most of those plans focused on issues like IT security, facilities management, uh, supply chain integrity, things that undoubtedly are important elements in a business recovery. But these plans often forget the most essential aspect, the human element. It doesn't matter how secure your firewalls are or how quickly you get the power restored and the computers working again if the people aren't reassured and ready to go back to work. So taking care of your people is taking care of your business. And I, I, I know I think it's a mistake when a business owner says, well, I'm going to do one over the other. They have to be done simultaneously. And, you know, so focusing on that people side of it, you know, when a major incident occurs, such as 9-11, or when you've got, you know, a pandemic like COVID-19 or other types of disruptions that impact a workplace, what's typically the first thing from your, if you were going to provide recommendation, what's that first thing that an employer should be focusing on when it comes to their people? So I look at it as two parts. The first part, first and foremost, always is safety. How do I, I need to ensure the safety of the employees? And that means physical safety and emotional safety. I have to prepare or provide for both aspects of that. So I need to make sure, you know, when a large scale event happens, you know, have all the appropriate authorities been called? Are, have the right people been notified? Is the site secure? Are all the employees accounted for? Have immediate steps been taken? Even simple steps like providing food, water, or blankets. You know, have immediate steps been taken for the care and comfort of my team um, and has leadership physically, directly checked on the team. Have they been visible? Have they gone around? Have, have they checked on and ensured the safety of everybody, both physically and emotionally? So safety is first job one, but then followed up by that. Um, there are three simple things that I would say that the uh, leader needs to do, and that is communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, they, that once safety is restored, it's imperative that leadership starts communicating early and often. This establishes them as a credible source of verifiable information, and uh, that is in short supply following a crisis. And it's a common mistake among, lay, among leaders to say, well, you know what, I, I'll send a message out or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do some communication um, once I know all the facts, once I have a complete idea of what's going on, once I, once I know the whole ball of wax, then I'll be able to send out a message that encompasses everything. And then as one hour goes by and two hours go by and four hours go by, employees in that absence are going to become increasingly anxious. And it's human nature in the absence of real information to plug in our worst possible fears. And so, you know, maybe they're going to ask themselves, maybe leadership was hurt. You know, I thought we would have heard by them now, by now. Maybe they're part of the injured. Um, maybe they don't know that this is going on. Maybe they're unaware of this or maybe they don't care. 
And you can see that in the absence of real information, by that point, a negative narrative has already begun to take root. And it is so hard to play catch up after that and try and establish, you know, other, especially in the age of instantaneous communication through social media and other sources like that, uh, it is uh, absolutely essential that a, a leader is out there early with frequent brief updates, sharing what you know, what is verifiable, and share what you don't know, but promising to share it when, uh, you know, to confirm it as soon as you can, which is to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be open about what I'm, I don't know. I don't, as a leader, have to have all the answers right now. Um, and doing that, sharing what you know, admitting what you don't, but saying, I'll get it as soon as I can, has an incredibly calming and reassuring effect. It will enhance a leader's standing with their employees. It lets them know, okay, the leaders have a plan. They know what they're doing. They are on top of this. I can take a deep breath at this moment. So, so again, as an example, saying something like, following this event, we can confirm that three employees were injured and are transported, you know, have been transported to the hospital. That's verifiable. We don't know their status at this point, but we will share that info as soon as we get it. That's all you need. Something as brief as that. You know, so often, again, leaders will, uh, you know, well, until we know more, I'm not going to say anything. Or they'll make, uh, I'm sure everybody's going to be okay. Are you sure? Can you guarantee that? Do you know? Don't say it if you can't. Uh, just simply say what you know, admit what you don't know, but uh, assure them that as soon as we can have verifiable information, we'll get back to you. That it's amazing how comforting and calming that is for an employee group that is looking to you for leadership in the midst of this. Great. And, you know, as you continue to go through kind of that recovery process, if you after, after these types of events, when an organization is starting to regain, you know, a sense of new normalcy, how at that point can business leaders help to support employees and really the organization as a whole in that recovery effort? Yeah, kind of building on what I was saying before that the employee and, and organizational um, interplay is inextricably interwoven. The employee recovery depends on organizational recovery and vice versa. Employees are going to look to their workplace for stability, financial stability, as well as just something that I know is there, predictability, structure. They crave a return to something that feels normal and where they feel in control and where they know what they're supposed to do. When the crisis happened, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I'd like to get back to something where I feel I am trained and where I, I have a sense of uh, influence and agency. Likewise, organizations are only as strong as their employees, and they need engaged, motivated, healthy workers to weather the storm. There's a there's an old quote from uh, from Kipling in which he said, the uh, strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack, meaning the interplay between the organizational and the individual. They support each other. And so business leaders set the tone of positive resilience and an expectation of recovery for everybody. And that is part of, an, part of that is ensuring access 
to the resources that are supportive to their employees, like on-site or virtual um, behavioral health specialists who are able to provide immediate support, psychological first aid and encouragement, um, being able to offer 24-7 phone or text access, perhaps via their uh, employee assistance program or through other um, strategic vendors who can provide that. Um, offering um, and making sure there's access to print or electronic resources for education, coping, guidance, things like that are um, uh, immediate steps that the, em the employer can do to support the employee. And as the employees come back, they support the organization and it is a, uh, it's a common effort. And so for, you know, disruptions like with the COVID-19 pandemic, where we're kind of on this ever-changing kind of evolution, if you will, for the last year and a half, do some of those same initiatives apply in the context of, you know, a, a disruption that maybe continues to evolve as opposed to a one-day event? I think you're, you're absolutely right. And even more so, I think that, you know, because what we have come to realize even though we're 18 months into this, it's hard to, you know, the words almost stick in my throat and saying that, but that's where we are right now at this taping. Um, yet almost every day it is a changing, fluid, dynamic circumstance. You know, where we are now and where we were back in February 2020 are vastly different places. And we know so much more, and yet we are incredibly aware of how much we don't know. Um, and so, uh, that same that same uh, central concept that in the absence of real information, I'm going to plug in my fears, just highlights the need for leadership to have a constant, steady, reliable drumbeat of information, even if it's little bits, even if my update today is to say no new changes today, that's worth doing. That is something that reassures them that leadership is on top of it. Uh, because again, that's one of the things that clearly has, has typified this uh, prolonged, slow-moving disaster is, is that, um, you know, almost no two days are the same. And yet there's still this um, emotional sense of Groundhog Day of, what? It's still here? <laughs> We're still talking about this? And so, yeah, for leadership to, to, to not fall into the trap of thinking, oh, nobody else, will. they don't want to hear any more updates. No keep doing it. It's essential. Great. So now looking ahead and obviously for 9-11, you know, this is a milestone anniversary. So looking at, you know, milestone anniversaries, you know, some employees may have or, or may experience kind of a reaction or like a triggering effect to that. And, you know, just like how, you know, an employee handles the disruption when it's happening, it's all different in terms of the different levels of resilience and, and how, you know, people kind of process uh, trauma, you know, from your experience, you know, what should an employer be looking at so they can show support and care knowing that, you know, with an anniversary, like the 20 year anniversary, everyone's going to kind of approach it differently. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, there were some organizations, obviously those in the New York area or Pennsylvania or in DC um, that were directly impacted. But it's uh, 
I think it would be a mistake for a business leader to assume that, well, I don't think any of my people were involved. Um, I don't need to pay attention to that. I don't need to mention that. Um, you, you know, in the 20 years, people have moved, people have relocated, people have taken different jobs. People who were children at that point, who may have lost a loved one at that time, have grown up, moved, taken on new jobs. Again, it would be a mistake to think, oh, it's so far back, we don't really need to worry about it. This is a significant day. And so for an, from, for an employer, I think it's important for them to acknowledge the solemnity of this day, the power of this day itself, and to recognize that uh, employees may have some challenges with it. Not everybody, not that they have to, but some may. And so as a leader getting out ahead of that and simply recognizing and acknowledging that lets them know that you get it, that you understand that this day is different from other days. It has significance, which helps those employees to feel understood and validated, not isolated and alone as if something is broken or wrong with them. And so it's uh, it's important to, for you know, one of the ways that a, an employer can do that is to remind their employee of the wide range of resources that they have. Again, the behavioral health support, either on-site or virtually, as we talked about before, should they choose to use it. So for them, you know, again, highlighting what their EAP can do or other groups. Um, in most cases, people just want to be able to share their experiences. And anniversaries are times where we talk about it because that helps us when we talk about it, it helps us feel less alone. It feels connected. We feel like we're part of something. They, you know, they may or may not want to talk about it, but it's important for a leader to create the safe space for people to do that, to be able to talk about it. You know, because I, I think one of the things that I am sure once we get past COVID, we're going to do this. But one of the things that happened during 9-11, if we look back on it, um, all of us constructed a narrative a story of where we were when it happened, what happened next, how did it impact us, where are we now? We develop a story. That's that's human nature. It, it's how we make peace with it. It's how we wrap our minds around it. This narrative is where we begin to constrain it as a chapter in our lives, an important chapter, a significant chapter, but not the only chapter in our lives. Things happened before that. Things have happened since that. And so being able to talk about it in that narrative sense as if it's a chapter helps to, again, feel um, a sense of control. And I begin to view myself um, not as a victim, as if it's still going on today, but more as a survivor or perhaps even a thriver. Here's how I grew from this. Here's how I'm different because of that. Here's where I learned some things that are important. So being at work on the day of an anniversary, I think, is beneficial to employees impacted by any major disruptive event, um, because, again, there's surprising power in the mundane, comfort in the normal. I want to be around something that feels supportive and, and, and uh, constrained. And uh, going about their everyday lives helps a sense of control, helps them get through that day. And it helps them to have a balanced perspective on the significance of the past, the reality of this present, and the hope for the future. We will move to the next chapter, as it were.
Great. So if, if an, if a leader were starting a conversation like that with their employees, um, you know, cause I, I, I love that, that concept of creating kind of this like open area, this comforting, you know, um, feeling that it's okay to be transparent and how you feel about that. So, um, if you were going to provide a conversation starter for how a leader could set that tone and set that stage for that conversation, how would you, how would you advise them to speak to, to kind of get that conversation moving? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the a, a generalized statement to begin with saying, as we approach this anniversary, we recognize the power it has for us as a nation, for many of us as individuals. You know, we want to acknowledge that. And here's the things we're going to do. And that may be, it may be that, again, if they, if they are aware of folks who were survivors or who had a closer context, or it is part of our organizational history that our company was impacted by that day, then I think it would be a very wise idea to have um, on-site or virtual counselors available to be able to provide immediate, tangible, I can point down the hall and I can see that person. If I want to go talk to them, I know they're there. That's an immediate thing that they can do. The other is to remind them of other resources that they may have. Their employee assistance program, 24-7 hotline that, that, that is offered. Um, to simply say on at the point of the towers collapsing, many organizations I'm aware of will have a moment of silence at the moment, perhaps when the first plane struck the building. They will do that. And that is, again a way of honoring uh, the solemnity of it, a way of acknowledging the reality of it, and just simply lets it, your employees know, okay, we get this. We're taking it seriously. This means something to us, and we're doing some things to acknowledge that. Um, other organizations may say, you know what, given this day, we are something that maybe even something simple like saying we're going to you know, we're having a um, lunch brought in as just a way to, um, you know, acknowledge and uh, provide a communal opportunity for us to get together and share that experience. You know, depending on uh, the, the structure of your work site, that is a pretty low cost way to um, affirm to your employee group because they will talk about that afterwards. Wow, our company got it. And they did something substantial to help us. Great advice. So we're going to take a quick break and and hear a word from our sponsor. Uh, Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health crisis and security solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So some feel, Jeff, and we kind of mentioned it in the introduction too, that 9-11 and COVID-19 pandemic are tragic bookend events and have very various similarities in their impact on employees, uh, you know, with mental health concerns, um, substance abuse, you know, sleeping, you know, concerns. Um, 
Can you share your perspective on this? You know, are there, are there similarities? And, you know, if so, what would you say are the similarities and, and do you have any context to why that might be the case? Yeah, I think that's a great observation because I think, you know, on the surface, it'd be easy to say, well, my goodness, I could hardly think of two completely disparate type of events. I mean, they are radically different and they're separated by 20 years, but that if we did that, we, we lose tapping into the accumulated wisdom and knowledge that we gained from how we adapted to 9-11 and how that has sustained us through so many other crises that have happened in between and how that can inform and shape what we're doing now in response to the current crisis. So some, some areas of similarities that occurred to me is that you know both 9-11 and COVID changed everything about how business is conducted. I mean, if we think back on it, I think one, one cheap uh, and, and um, easy example is, you know, for, for uh, those of us of a certain age, but can you remember when you didn't have to take your shoes off at the airport to get on a plane? You know, it changed how we travel. It changed what we define as safety. It changed what security protocols look like. It changed even the work environment itself, where we work, who we work with, how we work um, has been changed. There was radical change after 9-11, and the same thing has been happening after COVID, in that it's it's created changes that are going to be likely permanent um, as a way of adaptations to that. And so that's one area of similarity in that everything has changed. Um, Another is that both 9-11 and COVID-19 have required a massive expenditure of time, money, resources by companies to respond to it, to adapt to it, to restore some sense of functional operations and confidence. That happened, um, you know, that happened after 9-11. The same thing happened after COVID-19. There, there are I, I, I defy you to find a company that says, you know what, we are pretty much operating exactly the same way with exactly the same plans, policies, and procedures as we did before those events. You know, it really didn't touch us, didn't change us. I mean, no, to the, to the, to the contrary, and particularly following um, uh, in, the, in the midst of the pandemic, we had to initiate almost immediate changes, as I said earlier, Things like we're operating from home now, where you know, many of us who were never envisioned ourselves as remote workers now find themselves with their library behind them. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, other things in which we've we've changed. The, the, we, we've made so many initiatives in response to this to try and enhance the safety while returning to operations. And we don't know the effectiveness of many of these until later. You know, we we have to make the change. We're going to do it. But we many uh, leaders and workers alike are saying, well, did we do the right thing? Did we make the right decision? Are we doing enough or did we do too much? So, I mean, these questions were the same. That's an echo of 9-11. We said the same kinds of things. We wrestled with the same sort of um, initiatives then as we do now and determining what was the right calibration. It's only in hindsight that we'll know, but it did require massive amounts of uh, time and energy. Um, 
And then the third thing, and I think this is probably the one that is most um, pertinent to me as a behavioral health uh, professional, is that both of these events had a global emotional impact, unlike any other event. Um, and, and if we think back over the last 20 years, there have been many major events. You know, we, we are only a few days away from uh, the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. There have been multiple large-scale mass shootings at schools or in other public locations. Uh, There has been a a breach of the U.S. Capitol. All of these things are major defining events, yet none of them had the um, emotional charge on a global scale there, there are, is almost no person on the planet that has not been aware of those events that were not that was not emotionally moved by those events. There was a there was a universal sense of shock, vulnerability, fear that defined 9/11 and was very similar to uh, the pandemic. And I think, you know, those other tragedies that I said were were huge and highly visible, but they were constrained to areas, regions, cities, a location, whereas um, 9-11 led the whole world to know things are different and the same has happened with COVID-19. Interesting. So, and you, you mentioned, I know in a previous conversation with us, and you may have, have kind of touched on it a little bit here, that events like 9-11 and COVID-19 pandemic are described as seminal moments that impact an individual's view on life, which can lead to them reevaluating what's important, you know? And so can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, I think, you know, the easiest way to understand, you know, seminal moments are, are, are those milestones, those tragic milestones in the story of, of your life. As I talked about, they are, they are um, unavoidable reference points in the story of our lives. You know, we, we will say, was that uh, was that pre-COVID or post-COVID? It's the kind of thing that you you know immediately re- recognize and you you reference your you know uh, events um, as almost you know magnetically rotating around that uh, you know. But but what I think is is so important about that is that the events are the events. The events themselves are only the beginning. I think the way we responded to them is much more compelling and is much more reflective of that personal agency, that personal story that, that, um, that we construct, that narrative that we build following these events. So the event happened, but the story of how we endured, what we had to let go of, where we grew, how we changed, how we adapted, how we found moments of happiness or lightness, even in the midst. Those kinds of things are lived experiences that I think hold tremendous value. You know, I think that in older days, uh, that might've been called wisdom. That's the kind of thing that you look back on and you say, you know, I would never want to go through that again, but I learned some things about myself, about my company, about my community, or about my country. And, you know, that that is important knowledge to be able to have and to incorporate. I think 
I know that we all want to hurry by. We all want to get to the happy ending. Can I just flip through the book? To the, you know, can I fast forward to the end of the, the show here and see the happy ending? But the reality is if we let this moment pass by without intentionally, purposely reflecting on what this means to me as a person, what this means to me as a leader, what this means to my company, what it means to my team, I think we lose something of incredible value. And uh, so I, I know, you know, again, uh, especially with something that has been as prolonged as, um, as the pandemic, um, we're just like, boy, I just need to get through it. I just need to get through another day. I just need to keep rolling. But um, I think um, savvy leaders have found that stopping, stepping back, intentionally reflecting on this and what lessons I learned from it um, positions them for better success in the future when they get past this. Right. So almost like attributing meaning to the event and how, you know, that is having an impact on your life or, I mean, cause it could be both in, you know, positive ways and negative ways. Like there could be a couple different things that are learned from that both professionally and personally when you're looking at it. Would you agree? Exactly. I think again, you know, that's, Attributing meaning to it is part of that narrative making. It's uh, it's human nature that when we go through an event that has that kind of power that impacts us like a like a physical blow, um, we we try and make sense of it. We we try and reassert a sense of control, and we typically go. I'm sorry, I'm going to get and go a little psych 101 here for a moment, but that we typically go in one of two directions. Meaning attribution means we either dis- determine internal, um, you know, inter- internal disposition. What does this say about me, about how I handle it? What does this reveal about me? Or external situation. What does this say about my context, my company, my community, my country? So we're, we're going to assign a meaning to this. And again, the event is the event. So the, the, the pain has occurred, the trauma has occurred, the tragedy has occurred, that doesn't change. But my meaning will greatly influence my trajectory afterwards. And so by that, there is a critical inflection point. There is a moment, a moment where almost all of us, whether we're conscious of it or not, where we look at this and we say, Wow, what I just went through, what does this say about me? Do, do, do I look at this and do I say, you know what, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but man, I'm just glad I, I got through that. Or do I say, you know what, this just proves once again that I am the unluckiest guy on the face of the earth. You know, I am a soccer ball on the field of life. I just get kicked around all the time. Do I view this as, um, wow, I am, I am so... Uh, happy to be alive following this. I am going to go home and, uh, you know, kiss my partner and hug the kids. And I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to enjoy life in a different way. I'm going to value life. Do I say that? Or do I say, what's the point? You know, why even try? Who, you know, stuff like this happens. I told you, it's just one bad thing after another. And, you know, why? You, the event is the event. My interpretation is going to determine whether I move ahead with resilience and in a positive way, or that I add on to the sense of negativity, the sense of pathology 
something must be broken. And, uh, you know, do I view this as, okay, these powerful emotions I'm experiencing are normal, understandable reactions to this really powerful event? That makes sense. Or do I say, I'm not handling it right. I must be doing it poorly. I think I'm not smart enough, strong enough. Maybe I'm broken. Maybe I'm losing it. You know, the event is the event, but my interpretation is going to determine where I go from. And so I think that's um, how we attribute meaning is going to help us move forward. Interesting. And so, you know, looking at kind of, you know, moving forward and looking at leaders that might be listening in on this conversation, if you were going to give them a takeaway from this show, something that you wanted to leave them with that can help them to effectively support their employees, you know, when disruption occurs, you know, what, what would you share with them? What would you want them to, to take with them? So I'm going to share not something that originates from me, but I want to share um, a quote from one of my favorite uh, poets, Maya Angelou. And that um, she, she had a quote that, that I think I have reflected on and it has helped me in so many situations when responding to a large scale event. And the quote is, they will never remember what you said. They will never remember what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And I, I find that so incredible because as a leader, I urge you, I encourage you to help your team feel cared for, help them feel supported, help them feel valued. And when you do that, they will surprise you. They will inspire you. They will lift up your company in ways you can't do alone. So it's not about having the magic words. It's not about, you know, following exactly the 10-point plan. It's about keeping in mind that my goal is they will remember how I made them feel, make them feel cared for, valued, and they will take care of the rest. Fantastic. Um, So looking out over your career, I'm always curious to ask my guests, what are you most proud of when you look out over your career? Well, that is a uh, that is a challenging uh, question, and that you know, I, I the the things that obvious, particularly in the context of our conversation, you know, being able to have responded directly to nine eleven, being having had um, an influence here during COVID, or responding to um, the Vegas shootings, or going to uh, DC, all of those events that I have done, but I. I I don't want to be um, uh, distracted by, like, say, so the bright, shiny, the big is the only thing that matters. Um, I think probably what I'm most proud of is that I consider it a humbling honor to be able to walk alongside somebody on what might have been one of the worst days of their lives. And it doesn't matter whether it was a mass event that rocks the globe or whether it was the loss of, you know, a friend and coworker who they had really come to depend on um, being able to be there and help take a little bit off their shoulders. Well, that's a day well spent. And so it's, it's each one of the, each one of those times that I've had a, an opportunity to speak into somebody's life. That way. Wonderful. So with our listeners, if they wanted to get a hold of you, Jeff, how would they be able to do that? Well, so um, as I mentioned, I, I am um, 
with R3 Continuum. And so certainly being able to, uh, to, to access uh, that through our website, but also being able to um, respond to me directly if you'd like to send an email to jeff.gorder at r3c.com, jeff.gorder at r3c.com. Um, and I'd certainly be, be willing to uh, respond to any questions. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. It was very moving, great information shared, uh, very powerful stories and advice. And uh, we really do appreciate you and and thank you for letting us celebrate you um, on the show today and, and hearing your, you know, the experiences you had, the the work you did in supporting workplaces at 9-11 and even with COVID and other, you know, events within our history. So thank you so much for being a part of our show. Thank you so much, Jamie. And I, I, I urge all your listeners, be well, be safe. Great. And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. If you are a Workplace MVP, or know someone who is, we want to know. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.